What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. People, Leo Phillips here with This Must Be The Gig, your little backstage pass to the world of live music. Every single week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this big, gigantic, spongy globe. We talk passion, we talk first concerts, insights into the creative mind during this truly unusual time, and everything in the Juicy Center. This week, we're excited to share a conversation with the dynamic duo of Tawny Newsom and Bethany Thomas. Take the ladies from 20 feet from stardom, but have them front the white stripes, I guess? You may know Tawny as one of the stars of TV shows like Bajillion Dollar Properties, Star Trek Lower Decks, and Space Force. You may know Bethany, meanwhile, for her celebrated musical and theatrical work on Chicago stages such as Steppenwolf and the Green Mill, her own solo music, and performing everything from a Gershwin opera to alt-country. Before all that, Tawny and Bethany spent years in Chicago as for hire backup singers for tribute and cover bands, forging an intense friendship and musical connection, including time as members of UK punk hero John Lankford's Four Lost Souls. This week, Tawny and Bethany's long history of collaboration culminates in their first album under their own names, The Explosive and Magnetic Material Flats. In this chat, Lior spoke with Tawny and Bethany about chasing their own sound after supporting other voices for years, how their passion for music thrives alongside acting careers, the influence of Devo and Talking Heads, and the difference between recording dialogue for Star Trek Lower Decks and recording music for this album. So let us not be delayed. This is Lior, Bethany, and Tawny. Enjoy!
I know you both started, you know, working together in tribute and cover bands in Chicago, which I'm sure must be a time full of really crazy stories on its own. Um, so is that how you both kind of met and decided to work together? Yeah, I feel like Bethany's got the first part of the. Our story gets more complicated <laughs> the later it goes. So, Bethany, if you want to take the first half, I feel like you're really good yeah. at the succinct part. Got it. <laughs> uh, we met doing uh, a musical theater production. It was a, a show called The Life by Cy Coleman. Mm-hmm. And it was we we played uh, these best friends who were also like they were hookers with hearts of gold. Oh, great! Um, so yeah, we we played those. We had lots of duets and stuff, and uh, we got along really well. Uh, we had a lot of the same kind of offbeat tastes, and uh, I had just started singing backup in some random band, and they wanted another backup singer, and I just asked her if she wanted to come along, see if she wanted, you know, if she was into it. And she was, and uh, we didn't, we haven't stopped singing together since, but we have done a lot of weird, different things. Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely been a sprawling uh, secondary career for both of us, um, in addition to, you know, being actors. There's different parts that bubble from the different creative projects that you do within your brain. So which which part does the music tend to relieve for both of you like what what part of you really get some sense of you know comfort from doing music with one another especially that's a good way to ask a question that I feel like I've answered before in different ways but the way you're asking Mm -hmm. it is really it's making me think about it differently um yeah I think um you know, what I tend to kind of say is like, oh, well, my other career is like, you know, doing TV work and comedy and stuff like that. So uh, that's a very like, it's a very exciting and fun career and I love it. But um, there's not a lot of opportunity for me to be super earnest or just be like, just kind of purely artistic. Um, Mm -hmm. Music is, is better for that. And it's much more freeing. Um, But when you say like, where does it bubble from? I think it's like, like, this is the thing that I need to do. I, I love that I get to work work in comedy and, and do on-camera stuff. But but this, the, even though I don't do music as often as that, it, it's this is the thing that I, I crave and I, you know, I feel like an itch when I've been away from it for too long. Um, mm-hmm. Probably because it is so, I don't know, it's just, it's looser. It's, it's easier for me because I guess because we're kind of DIY and we don't have labels to answer to or you know anyone to answer to really yeah I suppose yeah it gives you that chance to really set the tone of the things that you want to speak about whereas acting although of course if you get given a script you can take it anywhere and improvisation as well I don't think you necessarily become another person when you have these different mediums as an, you know, as a performer or as an artist. But I'm always just curious as to where it comes from and what is the thing that like, you know, like when I write or when I sh- take sh- photos, it, it like scratches a different itch. And that's like, yeah, for me, but without either one of those, I don't know how much of a pers- of a whole person I would be in the end. Do you know what I mean? So I do, oh, sure. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I feel like that's true for both of us. I mean, we've both been 
I, I guess we can easily say we've both been pr- pursuing acting as a primary career and music as a secondary one, but it's not because we love it less. It's for a bunch of <laughs> it's for a bunch of financial reasons, I think. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, yeah, this is kind of the Wild West, you know, making your own stuff and trying to get it out. It's it's way different than the very structured um, sorts of jobs that we're usually doing, I think, performance-wise. You know, there wasn't any routine. There was nobody sitting at the door tapping their foot, like going, okay, when is it done? But does that is that exciting for you to have that? Oh, it was it was very exciting. Uh, I had just finished making a solo album of my own, which took a long time to kind of get together. It was very produced, and I love how it was how it turned out. Mm-hmm. But we had a, we took a lot of time and a lot of resources to get it just right. And this one, it was like we were kind of just riding on the energy that we had and all of our feelings that had just been going crazy, you know, during June, uh, you know in the middle of this crazy time right um and there wasn't time there, there was an immediacy there, and there, there wasn't time to overthink things and uh uh that's partly why I really love working with Tawny in the first place is because she's able to she's not as precious I think as about the things that <laughs> she's right. putting on the table <laughs> where I'm like I have to think about this for a very long time until it's perfect and then I'll tell somebody kind of about it <laughs> <laughs> she's like well, let's try this let's try this let's try this and that's an awesome way to work yeah. oh well thank you that's such a compliment from my friend thank you I think um, <laughs> you know it's funny I, I do like to pride myself on not being too precious about things I'm definitely specific I think Bethany and I are both yes you know we're both kind of 360 artists where we see and hear and feel the whole thing and we and we do want things the way we want them but I also really you know, I subscribe to the ideology that if you surround yourself with people that you trust and with people whose, you know, work you like, when mm-hmm. you can trust them to to collaborate and then you don't have to, you don't have to be precious. You don't have to be as nitpicky. Um, yeah. I also, frankly, I mean, I have a, a massive like safety net, right? Like it's a little bit of a, a weird privilege to have this other career, you know, kind of making it so that I don't have to worry as much about what I you know the music that I make um so yeah it's very it's very freeing and this summer was I mean we did everything ourselves like I literally taught myself to engineer by watching YouTube tutorials because oh there was God. no one else to do it yeah and I I, yeah. I loved it I I wouldn't have traded any of our <laughs> insane month and a half of work when you do land up doing things like that and getting to the ground core of stuff instead of involving a bunch of people I do feel like you land up getting so close to whatever you're working on that it almost brings like a new yeah. life to it you know and that's amazing because you get to spend time like learning a new skill and then also making music yeah I learned a lot I think about how to how to be, you know, the the reason why both of our names are on this album, the reason why it's Tawny Newsom, Bethany Thomas, and the album's Material Flats, instead of coming up with a band name, I felt, we didn't even fully talk this out. Everything's been so like breakneck speed to just try and get this thing out before (laughs) um, America falls to pieces and (laughs) we have to deal with the election right away. We were just like, oh my God, can we please get this out? Um, But we, we kept our names because, you know, we're both individual artists with 
our own thing going on, our own varied Mm -hmm. careers. But when we come together, for me, it was a, a, a very visual way to say, here are two artists who have come together to make something new, but you know, really looking at what both of our names mean and represent and our entire body of work that goes along with that, even if, you know, it's in a different career, even if it's in acting, um, as opposed to calling ourselves like homework class or something, which believe me, I really wanted to (laughs) call us homework (laughs) class. Um, (laughs) but I, I decided against it. I feel like there's something, you know, really special about the way, you know, speaking about the way that you two work together but also the way that your voices work together and I think clearly the product of having sung together for as long as you have and also there's like these really beautiful harmonic runs on like different tracks I wrote a few of them down that I was so excited by like White Balloon feels a little you know like very mystical and do you two have that kind of spiritual inclination in music or is it more mathematical? I feel like it kind of depends on the track or the line actually. I I suppose if it's something where we want to lead it with something that's like more soulful or bigger or something maybe I'll take the lead and like Tawny will like compliment that Mm -hmm. but uh honestly I, f- I feel like a lot of the time we're just it's more of a storytelling thing and like keep things interesting kind of thing and uh yeah. phrasing kind of stuff just like you know sometimes we'll write something where the lyrics are kind of ambiguous and I'm coming from a totally different place than Tawny is and like maybe that's something to use in the way we sing it we definitely do like the math part of it right <laughs> yeah <laughs> I like the math. I like the counting. Bethany doesn't love to count. Um, There's a run at the end of uh, our second track on the album, You're Still Up, that Bethany wrote. She just heard it in her head. She counted it out. Or I'm sorry, she did not count it out. She sang it to me. I tried to learn it. But as I'm sitting there going, like I'm literally clapping and going, hey, hey, hey. She's like, I don't know what those claps mean. I don't know why. it, It doesn't matter. Like ignore the. I'm like, the claps tell me where to sing the moves that you're doing. And she's like, well, I don't know where those are. So if that helps you, great. But it's like not how No she claps works. in my song. No claps. Yeah, right. But I mean, I think that's so funny how you landed up finding some sort of way, obviously by being friends, but you know, you, you managed to find that middle ground, I guess, that do you feel like that is more because of your experience of working together or because you both were very close to the material that you were singing about we kind of know each other's instincts now yeah um that's exactly what i was gonna say that's funny yeah (laughs) even if we don't have the same okay (laughs) (laughs) even when they're not the same we kind of like i'll sometimes like i know where tawny likes to sing usually and i I, she knows what i can do i tend to write a vocal line you know if any of the demos that i wrote that we started with I'll write a vocal line that I want to hear and I won't necessarily decide who's going to sing it because there are, you know, certain limitations to my range and my like uh, amount of power that Bethany does not have. Like she has more range and more power. And then I think I have different textures that I maybe access more easily. So depending on what the vocal line that I've written needs, like sometimes I write a line and it's not till we're recording it that I'm like, Oh, you have to sing that. Cause it, it doesn't sound like how I hear it when I do it. 
we've gotten our studio technique really down. Like I think we're probably some of the, the best, like vocal session directors. Like if we wanted a, a third career, we could probably produce and, and direct vocals because a lot of times you yeah. get, you know, you get a, a, a lead singer type dude in a booth who maybe is really talented and has a great voice, but like they haven't spent the time necessarily learning like mic technique or learning to sing classically like Bethany and I maybe have, or, you know, just different, um, but yeah, just voice technique stuff. So when we're in there, even if we're just lending, you know, back in the day when we would just sing backing vocals for someone for 150 bucks, I would often find myself telling the lead singer like, oh, hey, well, if you want, you know, to hit that pitch better, you could kind of darken your consonant. That stuff comes really naturally to both of us. So this is the first time that we've gotten to just like use all of those skills that we've sort of been uh, giving to other people and other people's projects and just use them all for us. Yeah. Fuck it. Thank God. Finally. It's <laughs> yeah. like, there's only so much you can tell other people how to do that, you know. Although, obviously, you weren't, you weren't doing it, like, with disdain. You were doing it because you also know that if somebody next to you is, is at their best, you are also at your best. Yeah. But sometimes it's really nice to take the yeah. things that you've learned and put it to your own projects and be a little selfish with it. Yeah. Did you have any hesitation of the things that you were speaking about or was it like, I have to get this out? Like how much of it was a purge and how relieving was that for both of you? Depending on the song, it was different. You know, like there are... Right. You know, for instance, the song Pincushion is literally about the, and the, the like beautiful mountain that I am so fortunate to live on. Um it's literally about all of the different like local native plants and it's kind of a it's a weird you know metaphor for being nervous about um things dying and and the heat that we knew was coming because when we recorded this in june and when i was kind of writing some of the lyrics back in may you know everything around me was green and lush and beautiful and then you know, California goes through a terrifying fire season that gets longer and longer. So I basically wrote a song just like desperate to hang on to, you know, when things are verdant and safe. And then it's, it's, it's ironic. This is a bit of a tangent, but then it's ironic that, or not ironic, I guess it was inevitable that of course, like wildfire absolutely ripped through my community, spared my my house, but like decimated my neighbor's homes. And all I can think is like, oh my God, I'm, I I wrote that song not even knowing that this is what I was worried about. So yeah. some of these things are a little spooky to me how they came about. I mean, Bethany just walked into the studio one day and goes, we need a song called Juneteenth 2020. And then she just oh. like whipped out a guitar and wrote it like, <laughs> I feel like you wrote it in 10 a, minutes. <laughs> that's such a breathtaking track. It's like this powerful and insistent song that really pushes and... Gosh, it like taps into something vocally that I feel is very different from the rest of the album. Uh, that must have felt amazing to reach that place, for, you know, for both of you for this particular album. We definitely were trying to, uh, and I came in, you know, with the parts that I came in with, definitely trying to do something that was speaking to our influences that don't always come across when we're singing because we have you know, we have, we have big sounds. We do. We have, we can do small sounds too, but like, I, we, we also listen to a lot of Gang of Four and, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and Devo and Talking right. Heads and, and Amazing. we, 
we like those sounds and we can do that too. So I think it was kind of like, let's try to do something that's a little bit just, just different, just not pushing the vocal thing, but just telling, you know, telling story in a different way and touching on just different sounds and textures that aren't always communicated with what we're listening, you know, from where we're coming from. The back half of that though, Tawny, like she came up with a little guitar riff. She's like, I want this out of, you know, like it's going to be this weird pattern that does it differently every time coming up with these little vocal parts. The math, like, the math again. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Was that yep. a heavy track to write? Like, was that something that just came out? Like you, you know, Tawny said that Bethany just like walked in and had it. So it, it feels like it yeah. just was there. <laughs> waited <laughs> I, I mean Be- bethany wrote the the more yeah probably what you're getting at like the more more emotionally charged part but sure. for the back half that i wrote i was just so thrilled to basically write you know in 60 seconds i just wanted to write like a full love letter to like remain in light or to the pixies yeah. which are you know uh, talking heads and the pixies are two of my biggest influences oh my and God, i yeah. don't feel like you know i don't feel like i get to play in that world very often because of the way that I sound. And um, yeah, so I just really wanted to do this like polyrhythms, these weird layered angular sounds. Um, and so, it, the, yeah, the words weren't, I, I borrowed words from the beginning that, that Bethany had written. Right. Yeah. I mean, the genres and styles and kind of art forms that the two of you have worked in is such an extreme spectrum. I mean, when you were singing yeah. with John Langford in Four Lost Souls, it like verged on like I don't, like folk. And then there are parts of Material Flats that like reach somewhere between punk, like you were saying. And you mentioned obviously Talking Heads. There's definitely that influence. And I mean, it, it, is it just the song becoming itself through the same process when you're adding those influences? Like w- was the song meant to go that way anyway? Or is it like very... Um, as you said, mathematical, like you, you really want to bring that in because your, you know, voices don't really get a chance to do that. The idea of using a more punk forward, rock forward, uh, sound to come with these words is not a coincidence. Like I definitely, you know, (laughs) um, I definitely, like Tawny said, she's like, I don't think there's ever been a punk song called Juneteenth, you know, a punk song about Juneteenth. (laughs) Right. Um, we just maybe Saul Williams has one somewhere. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, so it it was definitely like uh, I'm I'm looking for that. Um, compare not comparison, but said but oh gosh, what I can't think of the word. Um, I know what you mean. Juxtaposition, you know, where right. we're hearing basically kind of like this beat coming in from a buzzcock song but it's actually a black woman talking about moving through the country and the things she's learning and the things she's claiming is it about like inserting yourself into a place where you might not have had the opportunity to be or is it just because like why the hell not like why are there rules to what certain voices should sound good in certain genres and things like that for me personally i think it's more about stating that we actually have been here i mean you know you you sing with langford and and mekons long enough the line between folk soul art punk it's all so blurred to the point that 
in my head, the, like a lot of that stuff is one genre. Like a lot of the folky stuff that we do on uh, the Muscle Shoals album, Four Lost Souls, is, you know, b- siblings to a song like Juneteenth. And that's because mm-hmm. the, yeah, just the, the the people that we've come up with have, have blended those genres for years now. And we've been there with them. We've been right alongside John. Yeah. I've been singing with John for 10 years now. Wow. So whereas maybe people don't see a lot of women like us in these genres, we, we've been here. Right. That's what we've come up doing. And it's, it still seems like such a surprise all the time. <laughs> I was like, no, that's. I yeah. revel when people do go, uh, you know, they, they, they don't start changing just because society has said that certain genres should remain in certain boxes. Yeah. I kind of feel like that's really where music should go. Like that's where art should go. I feel like the genre, the way that we've been brought up talking, you know, using that word in regards to music is kind of dying. Right. I hope, it, you know, I feel like it's still useful in very broad yes. senses, depending on what you're into. But I, my favorite artists do take, take things from all genres, yeah. you know? So I feel like that's what, you know, we do too. That's yeah. That's how you make something new and cool. Pause the podcast. It's time to step away from the conversation with Tawny and Bethany ever so briefly to share a special segment. We typically like to share our favorite live show or live stream of the week, but we want to continue putting a spotlight where it's most needed and instead highlight an organization we think you should contribute to. This week, we're highlighting World Central Kitchen, an organization which has been providing fresh meals to the communities hit the hardest by COVID, as well as to families affected by the California wildfires. To learn more and contribute, head to wck.org. That's wck.org. But for now, back to Lior, Bethany, and Tawny. Enjoy! When you were kids, both of you, were there different inspirations when it comes to performing music and then performing as actors? Or were there people that acted as a sort of dual inspiration for both of those mediums? Uh, I was all over. All <laughs> over. No, I, take, I was brought up listening there. to... Where were you? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, my, my dad played guitar in, like, local rock bands and okay. stuff. And I... Sometimes get to sit in on like band practice and you get to hear a lot of hard, loud rock. That's what he was into. He was not into the pop stuff, the Michael Jackson and stuff that my mom was into. Um, I, so I, you know, grew up listening to a lot of harder stuff and, and just, you know, top 40 things. And then I got into theater and a lot more classical, legit ways of singing uh, and like madrigal choir and stuff, but right. it wasn't like even in high school for me, it was not weird to, you know, have your choir practice, go to your musical theater rehearsal, and then go to like a ska punk show at the American Legion. Right. That night. <laughs> like Hell that. Yeah. W- that was my journey when I was seventeen. You know. Hell yeah. Um, That's and awesome. it's not that different now, I guess. But yeah, you're still going to ska but, punk shows most nights, aren't you? Yeah. You you know me so well out there <laughs> at the Scott Show. <laughs> if 
Anthony, I was so excited to see that you're performing in a few days. Um, even like on stage, not just you know live in the ether. Yeah. But you're going to be at the Hideout in Chicago, which is one of my favorite venues here. Since moving here, it's like you know. But that I know that will be live streamed still for fans at home. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm very excited. I'm trying to figure out what the hell that I'm going to do it. <laughs> You're going to be great. You're going to be amazing. Minute. Yeah, going to be perfect. Um, and, and, and Tony, for you, was that, was also when you were listening to things when you were younger, did that shift and change over the years? Were you also kind of all over the show with what you were loving? I was, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I always wanted to sing. So I used to love, like, I loved Bonnie Raitt. I loved Trisha Yearwood. I loved these, like, poppy bluesy country voices um probably because their ranges were closest to mine and the songs were hooky without being too too poppy I think I felt a little like you know I felt a little <laughs> I was a little adult contemporary for my <laughs> for my youth um, but but then I also really loved like I've always I've always tended towards light metal <laughs> like Ooh. just a dusting of kind of metal okay. guitars and yes. sort of that 90s like oh gosh I used to love like a, a I loved a nine inch nails or a you know just some hard hard sounds which does not go with a, a, a Bonnie Raitt melody line usually so <laughs> maybe Maybe, maybe that's a good explanation for how this record kind of came together. No, that's that is that is it. <laughs> so I would have just like that's, introduced you if Nine Inch Nails and Bonnie Raitt like yes. that's how I just be- <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Sure. I was just gonna say we started to tell people like uh could they'd be like what's the what's the genre for this album and we'd be yes. like uh so like take the ladies from 20 feet from stardom but have them front the white stripes I guess do you guys remember the first time each of you sang in front of a crowd or performed maybe not necessarily sang but just performed in front of humans I think I was in Cinderella I think I was five years old and oh I was in gosh. Cinderella and I was one of the dancing pieces of laundry <laughs> that comes to life. And all Ooh. we had to do was bring one of our dad's oversized like work shirts yeah. and just spin around <laughs> on stage. That's probably my first one. Oh, my God. That's so great. Were you nervous at all? Do you remember? Or did you absolutely love it even from a young age? No, I'm one of those insane performing sociopaths. I've okay. really never... I can count on one hand the times I've been nervous in my life. It's just really you just you don't die, you know. You're not. It's not going to kill you. So, what is there to stress? Oh, man, I feel like you need to just like broadcast that to every performer it, because I feel like I speak to so many people who either have your mentality or just always say that they just know things are going to go wrong. So they're more pessimistic about it. I feel for folks <laughs> like that. I, I don't know why I'm wired this way. I'm super grateful for it. But um, I, I have respect for people who do experience those nerves and still pursue the profession. That's right, so much right, harder. Push. The, yeah. Yeah. Where do your nerves mm. come in then? What do you get nervous about? If you don't mind me asking. Oh my gosh. I mean, my anxiety is boiling uh, the, these last few weeks because I'm in a weird hotel in Atlanta trying to finish filming a movie and I'm just like, yeah. you know, they're, they're keeping us so isolated, which is great. The production feels very safe. But like every time I go outside, I'm just watching people sit in bars and not wear masks. And, you know, then I'm like, 
humanity's doomed. So I yeah. guess I'm not scared on stage because I'm worried for humans and the earth. Yes, I hear you. But so do you remember the first time you were perf- you, you performed in front of a crowd? Well, I remember doing a couple in Kenosha, where I, Kenosha, Wisconsin, where I grew up. Uh, right. There was a thing called the Theater Wagon. Okay. And it was basically like a summer arts program and you'd do a play, but there was like this trailer that got, you. they'd bring it into a park and you'd had to like crank down the stage on this trailer. Like one of the sides was a stage that would crank down and then you'd go and do like Raggedy Ann and Andy. Oh, great. Um, so I remember having bit parts in a couple of those shows when I was probably like eight or nine or something. But I feel like the first time that I sang in front of a bunch of people, like on my own terms, was a uh, like fifth grade talent show. And I sang Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams. Yes. Oh my God. You know I it. love her. I spoke to her the other day. <laughs> oh my God. She's great. <laughs> yeah. You spoke to oh, her the other so day. Cool. That's so cool. That's so cool. She, I was doing like this whole oh my piece God. on, um, oh my God. What did she sing? It was Pocahontas. I was doing like. Oh this. yeah. Colors of the Wind. She yes, did the pop version. She of course. did. She did that version and I called her and like, she was the most chill. Oh, that's great. That is yeah. dope. Yeah. Oh my God. That song is so great. I love that you chose that for a talent show. That's cool. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think my first talent show, I chose like 311, What's My Age Again or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> you did not. Something oh so God. pop What's that? What's my, is that Blink-182? What is that? Oh, it's not it, I think it's Blink-182. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. But wait, did <laughs> you sing Something with like... the number in it. <laughs> <laughs> did you sing like all the parts? Like, how did you do that on your own? <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I, I I really wish I had video of this to witness. I think I I think I have. Okay, there there are two stories that are very quick and similar. But I yeah. think I had my little baby cousins sing other parts in it, and okay. I think I tried to make a video, but I didn't have. You know, back then video cameras were so hard. You're That's right. what I remember from that. And then the other weird thing that I did around the same time was. Uh, me and a couple classmates in sixth grade had all gotten together to watch the movie Evil Dead, and we decided to make a play of it in our sixth grade classroom. And our teacher yes. let us. What? She let us do this. <laughs> Wait, did she think that and you maybe I, didn't know like what was going on? Like, how did she? Yes. How did she trust you? <laughs> I think she had a different movie in mind, and so when we said we'd like to do this as a project, the whole class can be involved. We're going to write parts for everybody. We're going to make yeah. costumes. I think she was like, oh, cool. These kids came up with a, a an assignment for themselves. Then she got sick for two weeks. So we oh, practiced shit. it every day with a substitute. And the sub was like, well, I guess Miss Finian said you could do this. So go ahead. And then when, when Miss Finian came back, we presented it to her and she was horrified. She thought she was going to get fired. <laughs> That's amazing. And the whole time the sub is just like trying to be supportive and like, of yeah. course, she told you you should do this. <laughs> teacher says so okay yeah i was a weird kid in sixth grade between oh those God. two stories <laughs> and then talking about just like the first times of things do you remember the first live performance that you ever saw each of you the first concert that you went to bethany has a cool one mine was michael jackson oh when i it was in 1988 on the bad tour 
That is a rad. Mine was Michael Jackson, but on the history one, because he came to South Africa. That's so funny. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's still, it's still MJ. Oh, my God. I hate him, but I still love him, you know? Right? I know. Oh. I hate admitting it, even. I hate saying, but I can't, like, I can't erase my history. Like, that's who I saw, you That's know? the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I can't erase, yeah. like, everything that he means to me and my yeah anyway we don't need to talk about michael jackson tawny what was your yeah (laughs) oh happy to lighten the mood um my first concert i was 13 and i saw hootie and the blowfish um so really just keeping it cool and classy here (laughs) wow hootie i mean listen they were huge like let's not like they are nerdy but huge they people loved them yeah, it was a lot of 35-year-old couples there that loved okay. them. And then <laughs> me. <laughs> you just standing there. That's so funny. I told you. I was adult contemporary. That was my aesthetic. <laughs> I think that's right, though. I think I, I think that this all works out between the two of us. us. Our first people, like, conscious we saw were black artists doing unconventional like their own sorts of things mm-hmm. uh, yeah. music wise like bowing to no one to no tradition uh and yeah chicks and that's so funny yeah, this all makes sense <laughs> all like I'm, I'm like that math lady meme you know when all the like numbers yeah. spin around her head and i'm like oh <laughs> that's so you're funny. like i've solved it yeah but i mean do you know when you guys are like looking at like your history and all the things that you've done when you know I'm also curious whether you feel some of your creative process or part of your brain is activated when you're improvising as well because I suppose creating an album and also writing there is improvising you know improvisation in there but then also just knowing that that's you know work that you've done as well um so are those completely separate improvising as opposed to like working with people in music do you feel like you can improvise a lot when you are hired to do certain things yeah i mean like in my tv career i'm i'm to the point now where if i do get hired for something they're like and now we want you to improvise like they're kind of waiting for me to throw the script out the window Right. Yeah, which okay. I'm delighted to do because I spent so long just having like four lines in the background and bursting, you know. So yeah. now I'm really lucky that I get to just like play a lot. Um, and I'll just say that what it's done for me in in the studio when I turn on that other part of my brain is that I'm not um, – yeah, like, you know, we talked before about not being super precious with things. But I also know – I have a confidence in like being able to execute something kind of – swiftly and uh doing it well and re- and knowing that I'll like it and not worrying about second guessing it because yeah I guess because I've just I have a comfort level with myself that I, I know comes from improv because you just you know you you say made up things for so many years in front of so many people and get rewarded for it it's got to change your brain a little bit so for better or worse um <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty pretty comfortable with that I mean, you speak about it like it's so easy. I'm not going to lie. Like anyone who's going to listen to this show and listen to the two of you speak, they are going to probably write an album the next day or something because how they chill, should. How chill yeah, I hope, I hope they do. <laughs> like, 
I feel like there's no, but I, I, I love that in a way because there is so much confidence, but it isn't confidence as, as in I just, you know, blatantly, you know, know that I'm doing the right thing. It's that you have found your voices in many different things. And I love that you have found that because it really like, I mean, I feel like I can do something now. <laughs> I don't know, the way you, you definitely can and should. I also think that like we both don't feel like it's not like we think we can execute something this easily and think it's perfect. If anything, for me, I'm comfortable with it not being perfect as long as it's 100% mine and I didn't feel like I made any compromises. So mm, I'm, sure. I'm happy with it not being the best. It's it's you know, it came from us. And that's what I love. What about the difference between recording, like, like for you, like dialogue for something like Star Trek, Lower Decks, and then recording music in a studio. And Bethany, also all the different projects that you work on. Like, do you have, did you have different rituals when the two of you like got into the studio together? Did you, re you recorded in the same space, obviously? Yeah, in my, okay. in my little home studio. Yeah. Um, I, th I think our ritual is tequila. Okay. Yeah. Before, before <laughs> during, or after, or all of the above? That probably, maybe not before when we had our morning sessions. But, okay. Uh, <laughs> but, but definitely during sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's less tequila when I'm recording an animated show, for sure. <laughs> okay. Oh, I bet. So how long was the whole recording process um, in total for you guys? You said that you got together in June, May, started writing in May, and then got together in June. Um, um, yeah, I think we were only together for three weeks, right? Yeah, I got, yeah, we were there the last three weeks of June. Like, my friend and I are guitar player, uh, and I drove over there from Chicago to... Uh, the desert yeah and uh she'd had some of her demos put together there were probably like four or five things where she'd have you know some music out and a couple of them she'd had all the lyrics written out and then a couple were just a couple hook ideas um but the bulk of stuff was put together in the three weeks that we were together wow that uh, seems quick but I mean, I'm sure in your lives, like things happen so quickly. So I'm sure that didn't seem like a quick amount of time, like a short amount of time. It was, it did feel, it did feel kind of short actually. Um, but I think it was just because we kept every thing that we would do, like once we got one thing done, we we're like, well, I think we can get another song done mm. then. It, we weren't, I don't even really think we set out to make like a whole album at first. We, that didn't seem like something that we could really do and then when we started doing it we we're like oh we can absolutely get all of this together if we if we really just do it you know where i live it's um it's really rural and my husband and i are very diy and so we make a lot of things um and in addition to music we just like build things and so one day at breakfast because we would do like family style meals whenever we could um we'd made a bunch of breakfast and I just like came out of my bedroom and I just looked at Nate and Bethany and I was like, okay, well we need a rocker. And Nate was like, <laughs> okay, like a chair. I guess I can build that. Like, where do you want to put it? And I was oh like, no, like for the album. <laughs> like, so I was trying to say we needed another upbeat, you know, yeah. and we needed yeah. a rocker. <laughs> Is there a show or perhaps like, I don't know, a live performance or just something even, you know, not music related that either of you have seen that really 
inspired you to do what you do now? I think I took a lot of inspiration from our our friend um, Ted Leo. He he plays on uh, the last song on this album with yes. us, but his album that he put out a couple years ago um that he did you know very diy himself he recorded it all in his home himself he you know completely no label he crowd crowdfunded it and just did everything and really did so much um yeah so watching him perform he came to the the echo in la um or was it teragram i don't remember he might have played both but um yeah, I was just watching him play and hearing him kind of talk in between. And, you know, this is a guy who's been on big labels, been on small labels, and now doing his own thing. And I feel like he's really able to, I, I don't know, like you, you see different sides of him in his music now. Um, mm. And and I hope that that's because he has the freedom to make whatever he wants. So, yeah, I would I would say that. And, I mean, it's not a live show, but... I watched I May Destroy You, and I was like, we have to do everything ourselves. Just yeah. everything has to be ours. So that's been my rallying cry yeah. this whole year. And and you, Bethany, was there anybody that you saw that kind of influenced how you perform or just shifted a few things for you in terms of uh, performance in general? There's such a conglomerate, I think. Yeah. I mean, like, I can think of, like, there's a show that we did one time that I think about all the time where I was like, oh, we're just, don't give a fuck. We're just going to do what we want. Like we were, the four, four Last Souls were playing in this church that didn't even have like a restroom built in it. That's how old it was. Oh, God. Like, oh in yeah. Wales. We were, yes. Remember, in, where were we? In, in Larn? We were in Wales. Larn, Wales, yeah. Oh, my God. But like... <laughs> We just, we're playing this thing and people were into us cool. There's a little bit of like light show going on that we were not accustomed to and shit was just kind of falling together. We have this one song where we just decided when we do it, we're going to start marching around. Okay. But in this one, we're, <laughs> we're standing like on a stage and all these people are watching us in pews. And it was kind of just a moment where we looked at each other and then John Langford is just kind of like, yep. And we're like, okay, we are stomping all over the pews of this church, screaming oh, yeah, about we the devil. On the pews. Like, I forgot about that. yes. Wait, wait, were there people? I think about it all the time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, some of them. Yes. Well, it's like fuck a microphone. We're just crawling around this church, screaming. Oh like, and I was like, this is the most rock and roll that has ever happened. <laughs> Anybody, what did everyone do? Were they just absolutely loving it? Oh, no, they're into it. Yeah, yeah, they're totally into it. Oh, it's um, a weird festival I, that, like, <laughs> honors Dylan Thomas because his home was there. So right? it's kind oh. of this groovy, like... It was like you know, a literary festival. <laughs> yeah, it's a literary festival of, like, groovy kind of um, sex-positive hippies. Oh, and they didn't necessarily know what we were going to do. But uh, I think they were into it just because it was weird. It's a weird place. I feel like that energy when when you do bring it into the crowd, it just makes it feel like we're all in this together. Why? Like it's almost more human, you know? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, You're well, acknowledging the weirdness, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Because it's fucking yeah. weird, right? Yeah. It's so fucking weird, especially us. We're weird. Anything yeah. I've ever done with Langford is weird. We yeah. did this when we opened for Robert Plant at the Pritzker a couple years we sure ago did. too. <laughs> we climbed all over shit because the crowd didn't want us. They don't want to see us, and they shouldn't. Right. They did fun. not. They did not care. <laughs> 
This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kivel. We'd like to thank Dean Berger and Daniel Brater for additional music, as well as the Consequence Podcast Network. Hey! If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod. And generally, just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again, and I miss you all week. Consequence Podcast Network.